hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. You're listening to the Queer Money Podcast, episode number 178. This week, we're talking about a scary but important topic. Sage reported several years ago that compared to straight people, queer people are more likely to be single, live alone, and not have children. If true, it's not a huge leap for straight siblings with children to assume or even assign their queer siblings without children the task of taking care of mom and dad in their latter years. In fact, a 2010 MetLife study comparing LGBT baby boomers, more than 1,200, with a group of straight counterparts, also about 1,200, found that the LGBTQ baby boomers were more likely than their straight peers to serve as caregivers to family and friends and provided more hours of care than their straight peers. That's a huge responsibility. But while we arguably may be available to be at mom and dad's bedside, who's going to be there to make sure mom and dad's legal and financial matters are in order? Helping dad with his medication is one thing. Helping mom with her estate and trust is a whole other. What do you need to know? What do you ask? Where do you go for help? Welcome back to another episode of Queer Money, a great place to start this conversation, especially this episode with our friend and colleague, Cameron Huddleston. Cameron recently published her book, Mom and Dad, We Need to Talk, How to Have Essential Conversations with Your Parents About Their Finances, inspired by how she had to swoop in to care for her mother's finances when her mother started experiencing dementia and her father passed away before both her parents tended to all of their financial matters. Whether you'll wind up as a primary or co-caregiver to your parents, friends, or any family, or even if you don't want to be a burden to your loved ones by having to force them to tend to your financial matters, Cameron's is a solid book to read, and this episode of Queer Money is a great start to that conversation. To qualify to win a free copy of Cameron's book, Mom and Dad, We Need to Talk, How to Have Essential Conversations with Your Parents About Finances, rate and review this episode of Queer Money on your favorite app listening device and email a screenshot of that to media at debtfreeguys.com. While you're adding smart money books to your library, don't forget to download your free copy of The 7 Thinking Errors That Prevent Financial Success at debtfreeguys.com forward slash 178. Now, on with the show. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. This is Queer Money. This podcast is sponsored by Capital One. Capital One is redesigning the banking experience by offering simple, straightforward, and seamless ways for you to bank from almost anywhere. So banking fits into your life, not the other way around. So welcome Cameron Huddleston to Queer Money. We are excited to have you. I am so excited to be here. You've been on like a whirlwind of a book tour for the last several months. How tired are you? <laughs> I'm very tired, you know, and I haven't been actually out about in the world touring. Most of it has been focused on doing interviews like these, which are great. And I'm so thankful to everyone who's had me on their podcast to get this message out about why people need to be talking to their parents about their finances. Absolutely. That's great. And you know, it's, it's so interesting because when you're, when you watch you on Facebook and on Instagram and whatever, Twitter, it just feels like you're everywhere. And it sounds like you're virtually everywhere, but you're, you've been mostly at home. 
Yes. That's yes. Exciting. Which is, which is great. And, you know, as a personal finance people, I mean, it's cheaper, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that is the great thing about the gig economy and the connectedness that we have is that we don't absolutely have to hop on a plane or drive in a car to go meet somebody or have an interview like this. Yeah. Right. We, we have a technology. <laughs> we have a meeting today with an advisor at a particular firm and he couldn't grasp the concept that we don't actually have to meet face to face as at their office. <laughs> so we're like, Dave and I are like, we don't actually have to do this, do we? <laughs> oh, wow. And we do. That's the <laughs> relationship that he's used to. So it's a potential business partner. So anyway, this is not about us. It's, not about us. <laughs> it's, so, it's about talking to our parents about money, which most people don't necessarily like talking to their parents about much, <laughs> let alone money. <laughs> so, but I think it's interesting. So you write for Go Banking Rates and we used to write for them ourselves and occasionally we partner with them. But they recently did a study that found that this surprised me. David thought it was low, but that 73% of adults have not had a detailed conversation with their parents about their parents' money. What is your opinion on that? Do you feel like that's high or low? No, it does not surprise me. Really? No, it doesn't. It, and for a variety of reasons, you know, and, and the survey also found this too, you know, a lot of people don't even realize that this is a conversation they need to have, you know, so that's one reason why they haven't done it. They're afraid to do it. They don't know how to start the conversation or they think their parents' finances are none of their business. I will tell you what surprised me even more because go banking, ra go banking rates ask people, what would they rather talk to their parents about <laughs> then finances of course oh, politics no. poli you know a lot of people said politics but one of them one of the responses blew my mind nine percent of respondents said they would rather talk to their parents about their parents romantic life Ew. than talk to them i know <laughs> then to talk to them about their finances and it's like are you kidding me who wants to know that yeah and why would someone think that Talking to the parents about their finances is more awkward than talking to the parents about their sex lives. That's just weird. It well, is weird, but sadly. it's interesting. We, we interviewed our friend Gabby Dunn for her book, and one of her first episodes of her podcast, Bad With Money, Yes, she went out into some cafes in New York City, and she asked people their favorite sexual position, and people had no problem telling them what they like to do in bed. But then when she asked them questions about their money, they clamped up, and they didn't want to talk about it. Yeah, she asked, would, "Could you tell? Would you mind telling me the balance of your checking account?" And they said, "Absolutely not." <laughs> Isn't that weird? <laughs> yeah. I, what is this perception? Yes and no. It is like it is like I, I'm I'm kind of surprised about people willing to tell their, you know, favorite sexual position. But I get the money <laughs> thing because there's a lot of shame around money. Right. And if you say that your balance is really high, then you might be embarrassed because the person you're talking to has less money than you and vice versa. If your balance is low, you're embarrassed because the person you're talking to has more. Absolutely. So I kind of figured that one of the reasons why I thought we might not want to talk to our, our parents about their financial situation, one like you, I think there's some taboos around it for whatever reason we can conjure up in our head. But then I also I think that we, don't necessarily want to talk about this with our parents because it's kind of like, hey, I know you're going to die. <laughs> mm, yeah. And I know we need to talk about this. And that's kind of a, that's an uncomfortable acknowledgement. That I think both parties probably have. Certainly. That is one of the reasons why both kids and parents are afraid to have this conversation. I talk to a lot of 
people, real people, not just experts, but, you know, people, ordinary people like you and me about their fears of having this conversation. And one of the men I interviewed, that was one of the things he said. He was afraid to have this conversation because it made him think about a point in time when his parents would no longer be around. And that is very difficult. I get that because your parents have always been there. Yeah. And thinking of a time when they won't be is very difficult or even thinking of a time when you might have to help them because they can no longer take care of themselves. That's difficult, too. And parents, a lot of them, they don't want to have to think about that either. And the funny thing is, and I shouldn't say it's funny because I don't want to. This is very difficult for a lot of people. But, you know, there are people who think that if they start talking about death, if they start talking about writing a will and planning for that, you know, moment when they're no longer going to be around, if they talk about it, it's going to happen. And that, you know, for some people that might seem crazy, you know, but for a lot of people, it is a, it is a very serious fear. I, you know, talked to several estate planning attorneys for my book. The attorney said this, you know, clients come to them like, I don't want to talk about this. You know, it means I'm going to die. And, you know, one of the estate planning attorneys I talked to, she's like, I don't have that sort of power. (laughs) me writing your will is not going to make you die tomorrow and I've written a will and I've updated it and I'm still here I'm still alive to tell you that it doesn't it doesn't drive the final nail into your coffin when you do it but you know I think one thing people are even more afraid to talk about is death they're scared of talking about that than money and but it's all wrapped up together this conversation and it's so important you know as whether you're you know if you are the child I mean, you have to accept that your parents will die. Everyone dies. But talking about it doesn't mean that it's going to happen tomorrow. What it means is that if you have these conversations, you have things in place. If your parents have things in place, such as a will, you have a plan, you know what assets they have, you know where that will is located, you know what accounts they have, that when they die, it will be easier for you. It's going to be emotional enough. But if their finances are a mess, if you have to figure everything out on your own, that's just going to add to the emotional stress that you're dealing with. And so having the conversations will make it easier when your parents die or if they do need help with caregiving or if they do need financial support from you. You know, that was that was actually the one that I was curious about with the headlines that we see so often today of the amount of money that Americans are saving for retirement, that they how much money they have planned for. I'm curious if there is just the fear that so many people have been used to their parents taking care of them and helping them out financially. And to be honest, we know people who are in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s who are still getting money from their parents in some manner, but they're too scared that the tables may turn on them and that they may find out that, well, my parents don't have enough money to go into a a care facility that would allow us to continue the lifestyle that we've gotten accustomed to. Or my parents may need more help physically and financially than I am able to or prepared to give. And that kind of opens up that door of shame and embarrassment about our own financial situation. I hate to say this, but people should be scared because that is a very distinct possibility for all those reasons you just stated. You know, I have seen surveys that show that 
you know, anywhere from 10% to 40% of baby boomers have absolutely nothing saved for retirement. Nothing. And part of the problem is that many baby boomers are, like you said, still supporting their adult children. There was one survey that I saw that showed that baby boomers and Gen Xers are spending billions of dollars a year. Actually, spending twice as much supporting their adult children than they are putting into their own retirement accounts. Yikes. Yikes. <laughs> Yikes. You know, so, you know, my first my first thing would be to say to anyone out there who is getting support from your parents, sure, it's it's nice to get that help, but I would certainly encourage you to 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 stop taking those handouts. And you might think that your parents are in a position to be giving you that money to pay for your cell phone bill, to help you out with the rent. But there's a very good chance they're not in a good financial position to do that. They might be able to afford it, but that means they're not saving for their own retirement. So you could, next time the parents want to give you, you know, some money to help you pay for the rent, say, you know what, I've got it. I can do it. I'm going to figure out how to pay my rent because you know what? I don't want you to be moving into my basement someday. I want you to be saving for your own retirement. And you don't need to say it that way. Right. You know, I'm I'm just kind of being blunt here to make a point. Right. But certainly if you are getting handouts from your parents, I would encourage you to stop taking those handouts and figure out a way, whether that's, you know, getting a second job, a side hustle, reducing your spending because your parents are much closer to retirement than you are. They need to be focusing on their retirement savings, not supporting you. Wow. Yeah. So once you once you have that conversation, you know, I'm, I'm going to stop taking the handouts. <laughs> <laughs> how do you how do you start the conversation about the the specifics of your parents' financial condition and their financial plan? There are a lot of ways that you can do this and you can do it without it being awkward. If you are young in your 20s and you're just starting out, a very natural way to ease into this conversation is to ask your parents for advice. Hey, mom and dad, I just started a new job and I have the opportunity to contribute to your retirement account. Do you think this is a good idea? And your parents' response is going to give you clues into what they've done. They might say, well, you know, I never had to worry about that. I have a pension at work. And so I'm going to get a steady source of income once I'm in retirement. And you say, yay, hallelujah. (laughs) I'm glad to know that you're going to have a steady stream of income in retirement. You know, or they might say, gee, I, yes, start contributing now. I wish I had started saving sooner for my retirement because now I'm playing catch up. And so then you ask some more questions. Okay, well, what is retirement going to look like for you? Are you planning on working to an older age? Are you going to have to rely on social security? So easing in with questions like that, or, you know, maybe you ask them, you know, I just got married. Do I need life insurance? Do I need a will? And again, their responses are going to give you clues into what they've done. You know, and if you say, do I need a will? And they say, well, we've been meaning to do that. And then you could suggest, Hey, I know someone who's an estate planning attorney. Why don't we all go in together? You know, I know someone I did that, someone who did that. I interviewed her for my book and she and her sister and their parents all went into an estate planning attorney together, all did their documents together so they could all be on the same page, figure out what roles they were all playing. And it was super helpful and and kind of an easy way to do it because you've got that third party involved too, getting that attorney there who's talking with all the parties who are going to be playing a role and you know, somewhat serving as a mediator. So 
asking for advice is one way to do it. If you're older, you know, like we are, we're Gen Xers. And so if we go to our parents and ask for advice, it might seem a little bit awkward. But because of our age, we probably have friends who have already been involved in their parents' financial lives. Maybe they've lost a parent who died without a will, or maybe you have a friend who had to stop working to care for a parent. You can use those stories to start the conversation with your parents. Hey, I have yeah. a friend who's, whose father died without a will. He was in a second marriage and it was a big mess. I, I want to make sure that that doesn't happen to us because it's going to be hard enough for me, mom and dad, when, when that happens. And I just, I want to make sure that at least the financial side of things are squared away to make things easier so that I know what your wishes are. It's all about doing what's in your parents' best interest. You know, Absolutely. not talking to them about, do you have a will so I know what I can get? But do you have a will so I know what you want? So my siblings and I know what your wishes are so we can follow those wishes. So there's no fighting. It's all about figuring out and getting your parents to talk to you what they're, what they want as they age. It's not at all about you. I think that's a great point that you bring up because I, I, I didn't think about this earlier, but that might be a challenge that some people have with having this conversation is they don't want their parents to think, oh, now my kids just want me to die so they can get my money. And, and so if you come at it from a standpoint of let's let's make sure that you get your wishes fulfilled and let's make sure that you're taken care of through the perpetuity of your life, then then that maybe will abate some of those concerns. Exactly. Because that is one thing that children fear their parents are going to think they're greedy. And especially if you have wealthy parents, hmm. wealthy parents can be reluctant to have these conversations because they don't want their children to feel entitled. They don't want their kids to think they can coast through life because they're getting a big inheritance. So they don't want to even tell their kids about that inheritance. So it's not, you know, like I already said, it's not about, Hey mom and dad, I want to have this talk about what sort of estate planning you've done you know, because my siblings and I want to know what we're getting. No, it's, again, we want to know whether you've put things in writing. So there's no question mm -hmm. yeah. about you. And we don't even need to know what your will says. We just need to know where it is or where that living trust is. We need to know where those documents are or we need to know who your attorney is. We, we do need to know whether you've named us as the executor because that means we're going to have to play a role exactly. in, in divvying up those assets. And we need to know, you know, we need to have an accounting of your assets so that nothing gets lost. I mean, you hear stories about people who have shoeboxes under their bed with you know, stock certificates. Yeah. I just talked to someone yesterday whose parents, they did have a will. You know, he asked his parents and his mom said, oh yeah, it's in the garage. It was in the garage oh, <laughs> in a box that he would have probably tossed. Yeah. And, wow. and wouldn't have even known that the will was there. And so just even finding out where these documents are, if they have them, that's important. These conversations aren't so much about getting the details like how much is in your bank account. We need to know where you bank. It doesn't matter to us how much is in that bank account. It doesn't matter to us how much is in that retirement. You don't need to give us those details. We just need to know what sort of accounts you have. We need to know what sort of planning you've done. And if you have it, Let's start making a plan now. I think maybe another obstacle to having this conversation is I myself might not feel smart enough to have this conversation, um, especially if I'm not doing as well as my parents might have done in their life. And you might just assume that they 
must understand money way better than I do, which isn't necessarily the case. But if I don't feel intelligent about this conversation, how do I know, not necessarily how to approach the conversation, but how do I know what questions to ask, like about the wills, about the long-term uh, care insurance? Like, How do I know like that laundry list of items to cover? Okay, so I'm going to sound a bit like an infomercial here, but... Do you have a book about this? I do, and it, and it tells you everything you need to ask your parents. There's a whole chapter on the information you need to find out. But I will tell you, you do not need to be a financial expert to have these conversations because the point of the conversations, and I think some people, when they hear the title of my book, Mom and Dad, We Need to Talk, How to Have Essential Conversations with Your Parents About Their Finances, they think that I'm telling people they need to step in and have these conversations because they need to get involved and, you know, help correct their parents' mistakes and, you know, help parents make better investment choices. No. I mean, certainly your parents might need some help, but that is not necessarily your job. The point of these conversations is to plan to make sure those things are in place. And yes, if you don't know much about money, about finances, Start with finding out whether they have essential legal documents, a will, mm. power of attorney, living will. A will spells out who gets what when you die, and you don't need to be rich to have a will. Even if you only have a car and a house, I mean, you need to spell out who gets it because if you don't have a will, your state has one for you. State laws will determine who gets what. And maybe dad thinks, oh, when I die, mom's going to get everything. Well, that's not necessarily the case because some states will split it up evenly between the surviving spouse and the kids. And maybe there are stepkids and the stepkids get half of the house and the stepkids don't like the stepmom and they want to sell the house, which that sounds horrible, but I spoke with an estate planning attorney and she had a client who was in that situation. You know, so dad thinks mom's going to get everything. Well, you can let dad know, well, maybe that's not the case in our state or in your state where you live. So you've got to have a will, mom and dad. You need to have a power of attorney. That's someone you have named legally appointed to make financial decisions for you if you no longer can. This is more important, I think, than a will because you have to be mentally competent when you sign this legal document, the power of attorney document. If you wait until a point when you've had a stroke, you have dementia, you have Alzheimer's, you're in a car accident and you're in a coma, it's too late. That ship has sailed and now if a family member wants to be make financial decisions for a parent who is in this situation and they can no longer make decisions for themselves, you have to go through a very lengthy, expensive court process to become the conservator to make financial decisions for them. Someone I interviewed for my book spent nine months and $10,000 going through this process. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yes. And, you know, I mean, how many people have $10,000? sitting around to pay for that. Yes, it does cost money to have these legal documents drawn up, but it's a fraction of the cost that you will pay if you have to go through court. And that final document that I mentioned, the living will, it's also called an advanced healthcare directive. That spells out what sort of end of life medical treatment you want. Do you want to be on life support? And it also lets you name someone to make medical decisions for you. So my mother, she has Alzheimer's. And as she was starting to have memory issues, I said, we need to go in and meet with an attorney right away to update all your legal documents. She was still competent enough to sign them. So we updated her will. She named me and my sister power of attorney. And we are also her healthcare power of attorney. 
And it's been 10 years since she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. I have been managing her finances for years. And I will tell you, every time I have to take her to the hospital, if there's been some sort of, you know, healthcare emergency, the first question they will ask me, are you her power of attorney? Are you her healthcare power of attorney? Financial institutions, they want to know the same. They will not talk to me unless I can prove that I am her power of attorney and I send in that document. Yep. So these are essential. That's, this is where you start. You know, if this is the only thing you can find out, you want to find out if they have these documents because they need to be in place while your parents are still mentally competent enough to sign them. Then you can start digging a little bit deeper. You know, you might want to find out, hey, mom and dad, how do you pay your bills? You know, are you writing a check every month or is this, are your bill payments automatic? You know, and I'm asking this because in case something were to happen, I want to make sure your bills get paid. I want to make sure the mortgage gets paid. I want to make sure the electricity stays on in your apartment. If you couch it that way, that you, you're you asking this question because you're looking out for them, you know, hopefully they're going to say, you know, I'm glad you brought this up because we are still writing checks and I'm not sure you'd be able to write a check for me if something happens. So then you can offer to help them set up automatic bill pay. You bring up the power of attorney. Hey, let's make sure you've named me or my siblings power of attorney so we can sign checks for you if you can't. Then you dive a little bit deeper. You know, you just you, you the more details you can get about their finances, the better, because the more prepared you will be if something does happen. And you don't necessarily have to ask them to tell you. You can ask them to write it down for you. Because that can make it easier. Mom and dad, you don't have to tell me this information. Just write it down. Make a list of all your financial accounts. Make a list of the insurance policies you have, your account numbers, the contact information for your attorney or your accountant, anyone you're working with, the account passwords. Tell me where to find this list and tell me under what circumstances I'm allowed to access it. That's going to give them peace of mind and let yeah. them maintain control mm-hmm. over this very sensitive information. Very good. Right. Yeah. So it's, it sounds to me like kind of the foundation of this is a certain set of legal documents as well as a certain set of maybe kind of life situations, whether it is these are potential things that may happen that we have to intervene or make some sort of decision, either medical or financial, or the existing financial decisions that your parents are making, those are the kinds of things that you need to be laying out on the table. Here's the documents. Here's the potential scenarios. These are the current scenarios. Let's make sure we cover all these bases. Exactly. You know, and that's that's another way that you can start the conversation is by talking about what if scenarios. You know, Dad, what if something happened to you? Are your Do you have joint accounts with mom so that, you know, she can still access money to to pay the bills if you're in the hospital? You know, talk about those situations and see what they have in place because, you know, your parents might have separate accounts. And if something happens to dad and mom can't access the bank account, she's going to have troubles. So bringing up those situations and, and getting them to think about it and they might not want to respond right away. Oh, oh, nothing's going to happen to us. We're going to be fine. Okay. Okay. That's (laughs) (laughs) all right. Nothing might ever happen, but let's just have a plan in case. And and they might not have a response for you right away, but hopefully it's going to get them thinking. And then maybe you bring it up again later if they didn't really want to talk about it at that moment. Hey, mom and dad, did you give any thought to that question I asked you a month ago about what would happen if, you know, something happened to you? 
oh, yeah, we were thinking about it a little bit, you know, and we met with our attorney or, yeah, now we have a joint bank account. They might actually, you know, you bringing that up might actually get them to start taking action. If they haven't, then say, well, you know, I understand it's this is tough to think about. I don't want to have to think about it either, but right. it's going to be so much easier if we have a plan because then we won't have to scramble. We'll know that there are things in place. It'll make things easier for mom. If something happens to you, it'll make things easier for me and my siblings. We want to make sure things go smoothly. Yeah. I think that's that's the important point here, right? Is that it gives everyone some peace of mind and reduces stress when we know what we need to do in case of these kinds of situations or what will happen when this particular event happens, everyone knows that this is what's supposed to happen, then you don't have those <laughs> novella drama scenes in the courtroom of two families fighting with each or two members of a family fighting with each other over who should be making the decisions or how things should be divided or... Exactly. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Capital One's checking and savings accounts have no fees and no minimums. And with one of the best saving rates in America, you can rest easy watching your money grow with no fees to bring you down. You can open an account in about five minutes, which means you are only about five minutes away from getting your savings to grow with one of the nation's best rates. Let me ask you, so just thinking about this can be a little bit maybe heavy, a little daunting. What are the risks of not doing something like this? So one of them I mentioned already, if your parents don't have those legal documents and something happens to them, you could have to go to court to become their conservator, to manage their finances for them, to become their guardian, to make healthcare decisions for them. And that can be very expensive. And, and basically that means you are putting your parent on trial to prove that your parent is no longer mentally competent. And that's that's, that's an awful thing. <laughs> yeah. It's incredibly hard. No one wants to do that. You know, and if the parents don't have a will, like you said, there could be fighting in court and that can tear families apart. So that's one thing that could happen. Another really big thing could happen is that your own finances could be impacted. These conversations not only need to, you know, include do your parents have legal documents, what sort of accounts they have, but you also want to talk to your parents about what sort of plan they have for long-term care. And long-term care is care that you receive if you have, you know, physical or mental, you know, if your your physical situation or your mental situation has been compromised and you can no longer take care of yourself. Whether you know you are in a your wheelchair because you've had a stroke or you have Alzheimer's, you can get long-term care in an assisted living facility, a nursing home, and you can even get care at home. This care is incredibly expensive. Yeah. You is. know, for in-home care and an assisted living facility, we're talking four to $5,000 a month on average. A nursing home, a private room in a nursing home can cost twice as much. And Medicare does not pay for long-term care. I don't think most people realize this. And most people do not have a plan to pay for long-term care. And I think a lot of people think, well, it's not going to happen to me. Well, you know, unfortunately, the odds are pretty high that you could end up needing long-term care. Like more than half of adults who reach the age of 65 will need long-term care at some point in their life. And the average length of long-term care is three years. My mother has been in an assisted living facility for six years already. 
Six years, yes, paying more than $4,000 a month. Wow. That's roughly $300,000. Yes, yes. (laughs) No wonder you need to make sure your parents are taking care of themselves and preparing for retirement. Who has that kind of money? Right. Exactly. And the thing is, if your parents don't have a long-term care plan, guess what? You're probably their plan. Most people who need long-term care, they end up relying on friends and family. And that can be a full-time job. That means you might have to quit your full-time job to care for a parent, or you might have to make adjustments in your own lifestyle. You know, maybe you're heading into retirement or you want to retire early and you're going to downsize to reduce your expenses, but your parents need long-term care. They can't stay in their house because it's not suitable for them or they can't be there alone. So mom and dad, mom or dad or both need to move in with you. So that's going to change your own financial plan. You might not be able to downsize because you've got to move your parents in with you and you need that extra space. Or, you know, maybe, you know, you were planning on working till, you know, well into your 60s or 70s because you're trying to catch up on your retirement savings, but you can't work that long because you've got to care for an aging parent. Having these conversations sooner rather than later again, lets you plan around this issue. You can encourage your parents to start taking steps if they're still relatively young, say in their 50s. Mom and dad, you should look into getting a long-term care insurance policy. Or you know, if that's not what you want to do, maybe a life insurance policy that has a long-term care benefit or putting your money into an annuity that's going to pay for long-term care or downsizing now into a smaller house that's a one-story home without stairs so that you can stay there and age in place have a smaller mortgage, set aside money for care. Mm -hmm. Taking these steps earlier rather than having to, and being proactive rather than reactive, you'll have a lot more options. You know, maybe you won't have a whole lot of options, but you might have more than if you wait. And so, and then you can start taking steps maybe to, to bolster your own finances so that if your parents need your help, you can afford to do so. Or even preparing yourself mentally to say, to your parents if the time comes and they need that sort of support. Look, mom and dad, I'm just not in a position to do it. I'm not in a financial position to do it. I'm not in a position in my own life. I've got kids I need to take care of. They have to be my priority. You know, preparing yourself mentally to have to say no, which is really tough. But you have to remember that as much as you might want to help your parents and as much as they might need your help, your finances have to take priority, especially if you have children, because they are your priority. And you don't want to create this cycle where your kids have to take care of you because you sacrifice your own finances to care for your parents. Right. Yeah. So I think this is all great to provide our listeners with some constructive talking points. What do you find as in the research that you've done, what do you find as the most commonly forgotten component for most people's financial plan? <laughs> There's so much. <laughs> it is hard because, you know, unfortunately, a lot of Americans really are not on top of their finances. Yeah. You know, half of adults do not have a will, power of attorney, a living will. 10% have long term care insurance. You know, like I said, a large percentage of Americans don't have any retirement savings. Certainly, if your parents can afford to meet with a financial planner, I would encourage them to do so, you know, and you could talk about your own experience. If you've met with a financial planner, you've met with an attorney to draft these documents, talk to your parents about how you've done it and how helpful it's been. 
and encourage them to meet with someone to help them create a plan. If they are not in a position to afford that, to meet with an attorney, there are lots of free and low-cost resources out there. There's free credit counseling through the National Foundation of Credit Counselors. You know, there's legal aid that provides legal services to low-income adults. There's so, and I list a lot of these resources in my book. There are resources available for people who don't have a lot of money. So that's not an excuse to say, I can't afford this. I mean, you can get a free will. You know, you can go to your doctor's office and get a free living will that you can fill out. There are resources out there. You know, so unfortunately, a lot of people have holes in their financial planning, you know, and just having these conversations might make your parents aware of some of the things that they need to do to prepare better. Of course, you don't want to go into these conversations and look like you're judging your parents right. because they might be embarrassed. Right. You know, and, and you could, you know, and you don't want to look like, hey, I'm on top of my finances. You're not. That's why we need to have this conversation. You know, you you let them know, look, money is complicated and staying on top of your finances is difficult. You know, and you could just say, I struggle too. You know, I feel like I'm doing well in some areas, but there are areas where I could do better. You know what? But I these are things that have helped me. Mm-hmm. Mom and dad, um, you know, it's, it's been really helpful for me for me to go online and use a retirement calculator, and it was free. It's been really helpful for me to go online and you know use these resources to learn more about money, you know, and you know I'd be happy to you know send you a link to this website where I've learned a lot about personal finance. It's been great for me, or I'd be happy to connect you with my financial planner, or I'd be happy to help connect you with you know so and so who can help you do these things. You know, offering to help without judgment is a very important thing to do. It's a very good thing to do to get these conversations going. Absolutely. Yeah. So I know that you you brought up long-term care insurance. Just for those of you who are not familiar um, exactly what long-term care insurance covers. We did have a conversation with Ryan Taylor back on episode 71 of uh, the podcast where we interviewed him about what long-term care insurance is, what it provides, what it doesn't provide, scenarios we may need to use it. So if you want to listen to that episode, but Cameron, it seems to me that so few people get long-term care insurance at a point when it's feasible in life. <laughs> it seems like they wait until they're too old to get it. Exactly. The ideal time to get long-term care insurance, early 50s. Really? Okay. Yes. You know, as long as you're still in good health. Now, if you have a history of health issues in, health issues in your family, you know, maybe, you know, if you're in your late 40s, and you're still doing well, but you suspect that maybe, you know, you could be on the road to, I don't know, type two diabetes or something, or maybe you're worried about your blood pressure, you know, rising even more. You might want to look into getting a policy a little sooner. Obviously, you know, you'd you'd have to be in your early twenties for your parents to (laughs) still be in your forties at this point, you know, and suggesting they get long-term care insurance. You know, if they are in their fifties, even their early sixties, they still might be able to get good rates. If they're in their 70s, it's going to be very difficult for them to get a long-term care insurance policy. And long-term care insurance is expensive. You know, typically people will get enough coverage to cover at least three years. 
I don't know if any long-term care insurers still provide basically unlimited coverage. A lot of insurers initially did that and they got into a lot of trouble. And a lot of those companies no longer provide long-term care insurance policies because they ended up, you know, paying out more in benefits than they were taking in in premiums because those expenses were just so high. You know, but at least if you're if you're signing up for at least three years worth of coverage, that's three years of coverage. And that's better than nothing. My husband and I recently went through the process of getting a quote. We're both in good health. And for a shared policy that would provide a pool of eight years worth of benefits. So, you know, I could have used six years, for example, and he would be left for two. Or I could have used all eight years or we could have split it evenly if we both needed long-term care. That was going to be about $300 a month. And that's a lot. Yes. Yeah. That is a lot, you know, but certainly if you can't afford $300 a month, you can't afford $4,000 a month for the actual long-term care. And and this is where meeting with a financial planner can certainly help you go over your options because, you know, what my husband and I decided to do, we're in our mid-40s. We decided we're not going to get it now. We're going to wait until we're at least 50. But in the meantime, what we're going to do is max out our health savings account. Uh, contribute as much and you can actually use money from a health savings account to pay for long-term care insurance benefits for your premiums. So meeting with a financial planner can alert you to all these things you can do, you know, and we can, you know, I could put money, you know, that same amount, $300 into a Roth IRA every month and I can withdraw that money tax-free in retirement. The key is to have a plan, right? Mm-hmm. to have some sort of plan, whether it's the long-term care insurance or maybe you want to get a life insurance policy that has a long-term care benefit or have a special account that you can rely on in retirement for those costs. Have some sort of plan, you know, and even if it's going to cover some of the costs, maybe not all, you know, maybe you, the child, aren't in a position to care for your parents, but talking to a sibling who might be better able to step into that role, you know, at least you have a plan in place rather than trying to wing it and you will have fewer options. Yeah. You know, one of the things you you mentioned just made me think this whole idea of you may not be able to afford to take care of your parents in a long-term care situation, but if you can afford the $300 a month, you might want to pay for their long-term health care insurance, or you and your siblings may want to pool your money together to pay for that policy because it could end up saving you tens of thousands of hundreds of thousands of dollars later on down the line. Certainly. And I know people who do that. So if you are in a good position financially, then yes, if you and your siblings want to do that, chip in and pay for the policy for your parents. Yeah. So here's a situation that might be somewhat unique relative to the general population, but probably somewhat common in the LGBT community. But David basically has no relationship with his parents because he's gay and his their religion doesn't allow that. And for the same reason, he doesn't talk to his sister a whole lot. And then it's just the two of them. So now that they're approaching the latter years of their life as parents, what advice would you have for someone in David's situation to get that conversation started with the family or to the extent that he can help prepare for the situation when they might need help with their finances or their long-term care? You know, first of all, I think I feel for David. It really breaks my heart that this is the way it has to be for him. But, you know, for better or worse, you know, it might mean David's off the hook here (laughs) when it comes to this conversation, you know, and I write, I write in, um, you know, in the beginning of of my book that 
if your parents don't trust you, that might be one reason they're reluctant to have the conversation. And, you know, some parents don't trust their kids because they don't trust anyone when it comes to money. But if you've given your parents a reason not to trust you, you might not be the person to have this conversation. You know, in, in David's situation, it's not a trust issue. It's, you know, his lifestyle that his parents disagree with. They don't have a relationship anymore. In this situation, David's not going to be the one to have this conversation. It's just not going to happen. And if he's not talking to his sister much, you know, it might be difficult to even encourage her to have the conversation. I mean, obviously, one thing he could do is send a copy of my book, you know, <laughs> but if she sees the return to address, she might not even open it. Um, you know, and really, you you might only just have to hope for the best that maybe she's realizing that she needs to have the conversation that they're doing these things. But if his parents aren't talking to him, this is not David's conversation to have and not every child is going to be able to have these conversations with their parents for a variety of reasons. And, you know, because the book I've written is geared toward adult kids who have a pretty good relationship with their parents. Maybe not everyone has an excellent relationship, but they want to be involved on some level. You know, kids who don't have a good relationship with their parents, they want no involvement with them. They don't have to have this conversation. It doesn't have to be up to them to have it. So, you know, I'm sure there are plenty of your listeners who don't have good relationships with their parents anymore. And this conversation is just not going to be possible for them. That's just the way it is. Yeah, I, I did think about that halfway through the show that I think I will be sending a copy of this book to my sister. <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully she'll open it up and, yeah. and, and read it and and get a clue. You know, sometimes that's sometimes that's all you can do. Yep, exactly. So since we've talked about it a couple of times, you apparently wrote a book about this. <laughs> Would you mind telling us what the inspiration of the book was and, and what kind of, uh, to the extent you haven't already covered, what the book covers? Sure. So I wrote the book because of my experience with my own parents. My father died at the age of 61. He was in a second marriage. And even though he was an attorney, he died without a will. And so it could have been a lot worse, certainly. You know, we didn't have a huge blowout in court, but it was awkward yeah. nonetheless. You know, looking back, I had an opportunity when I got married, actually a year before my father died, to say to my dad, hey, dad, I just got married. You know, do I need a will now? And maybe if I had asked him, he would have been like, oh, my gosh, yes. And I need to update my will <laughs> because I've gotten remarried. You know, having that conversation could have prompted him to do something. But I didn't even think about it at the time. Sure. And, you know, as I mentioned, my mother has Alzheimer's. And again, I did not have detailed conversations with her about her finances before she started having memory problems. I had to have those conversations as she was having trouble remembering things. And it made it difficult because we weren't talking about a what if scenario. It was, there's a problem. I'm having to step in because I know you're having trouble now with your finances, mom. And that made it very awkward. If we had talked beforehand and we had a plan and we had gone through all her assets to figure out how she would pay for long-term care. And if we had talked about long-term, what sort of care she wanted, I wouldn't have had to make those decisions for her, hoping that I would make the decisions in a way she would wanted, you know, she would have wanted things to be, mm -hmm. you know, so as my friends started coming to me with their questions about how to talk to their parents and 
because I had already been dealing with this since I was in my mid thirties because my mother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's when she was 65. I realized people didn't need to go through this alone like I did. And so that's what prompted me to write the book. And, you know, I cover everything, how to get over your fears, how to start the conversation, how to talk to your siblings, because it's so important to talk to them even before you talk to your parents so you can all get on the same page, figure out what roles you're willing to play. You know, and certainly, you know, in David's situation, you know, he's probably not going to be involved with the care of his parents if they need the care. His sister might have to do it all, you know, and, and that often happens where one child has to play a bigger role in their parents' lives as they age for a variety of reasons, maybe because that child is closer to the parents, that child knows more about managing finances, or in your case, is, you know, where if you don't have kids and people assume, well, these are my kids who don't have kids to take care of, so they're going to take care of me. Right. <laughs> and, and, you know, and it falls on the, the kids who don't have care, you know, and they're expecting you guys to step in because maybe you have siblings who do have kids and your parents assume that they have to take care of their kids first. It's important to talk to your siblings to kind of sort these things out. Maybe you have to provide more of the hands-on care, but maybe your sibling can be in charge of the finances. So that it's not one kid doing everything. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I I cover that. I cover the information you need to gather. I cover long-term care, estate planning. I cover how to talk to your parents about when it's time to move. And I have tips for parents who are reluctant to talk and, you know, then how to talk to your own kids about your finances so that you don't repeat this cycle. I think it's wonderful. And to our listeners, we want to encourage you to, to, to run out and get a copy of Cameron's book. Because as she said, not only will this help you with the conversation that you need to have with your parents, but it'll possibly encourage you to have the conversation with your spouse or your partner, as well as your own children, so that everybody's on the same page about everyone's finances. So it has several benefits. I would add, I love the point that you brought up here about having to talk to your siblings about this. If you're in a situation that's similar to mine where you don't have an open relationship with your siblings or with your parents, or maybe you have a slightly strained relationship with them, bringing up some of these what-if scenarios may help them realize how important it is for them to include you in the family and in the family's love since they may need you They may need to rely on you or may need your help later on down the line, and it can help to maybe mend a difficult relationship or at least improve a relationship with your family that you may not have right now by having these kinds of conversations. They'll realize that you're just a human being, you're a part of this family, and that they need and want your help, and they have to give something in return. (laughs) Exactly. Because... It's not easy. It's really hard to do alone. And, and and there are plenty of only children out there. And, you know, certainly if you're an only child, get help. You know, find friends who are in a similar situation who can share advice with you. There are support groups. You know, there are support groups for family members of, you know, people with Alzheimer's. Lots of support groups out there. You know, even meeting with a financial planner who can help guide you through the process and give you tips on, you know, managing your parents' finances get help because this can be difficult to do on your own. And I, I do have a sister, but she lives states away from my mother and me. And so I have been in charge of the caregiving. I've been in charge of the finances, but my sister is there 
for me if I want to pick up the phone and vent about something, Mm -hmm. get her advice. She's my support system, you know, and so having someone I can talk to about this openly is great. Even though she can't do the heavy lifting, she's there to support me. That's great. So where all can our listeners buy a copy of your book? So you can go to the obvious places like Amazon, barnesandnoble.com. You can get it there. I know that it is in some Barnes and Noble locations around the country. I know there are independent booksellers who are selling it. I do have links on my website, caremanhuddleston.com, where you can go and just click and go directly to Amazon and Barnes and Noble and some independent booksellers to, to get the book. Awesome. And you're a ubiquitous finance journalist. So where all can our listeners follow and track all your reading, writing, TV appearances? <laughs> well, you know, on my website, on CameronHuddleston.com, I do have links to the social media sites that I'm on, such as Twitter and Facebook. And I pretty much post everything I write and all the podcast interviews that I do, I share them on social media. So you can certainly follow me on social media. If you go to my website and click on the little icons for Twitter and Facebook, I am on Instagram, but I don't do all, <laughs> I do, I'd like to do more. I'm still trying to figure it out. I feel like, you know, maybe because I'm a Gen X or not at a millennial, I feel like, I feel like I'm like behind the curve when it comes to Instagram, but I'm getting my kids to help me out. How sad is that? That's good. <laughs> Mom and dad, we need to talk about Instagram. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly. it. I know it. I've like, thought about paying my daughter to like, run an Instagram account for me because they know more about it than I do. But certainly Twitter and Facebook, I'm on there. I'm on LinkedIn too. Um, my blog, I do I do have articles there. You can sign up for my newsletter um, if you go to my website too. And I do I do write for GoBankingRates.com so you can find me there too. And you know you'll see my stuff on other sites as well. I just have one last question for you. We are starting to ask this of more of our guests based on your own experiences and your life and maybe specifically this scenario. What is one piece of advice that you in general would give to our listeners that you've done in your life that has helped you do better financially? Oh, wow. Well, I can tell you a mistake I made (laughs) that, um, you know, I wish I had started saving sooner. Okay. I really did because I didn't realize the importance. And so now I'm having to play catch up, but certainly contributing the maximum amount I can. I have a SEP IRA because I am a self-employed mm-hmm. freelancer. I don't have access to a 401k or 403b, but I do have my SEP IRA and I contribute the maximum that I can every year. I think what's really important though is having a plan. Yeah. Like, yeah, you can wing your finances and get the bills paid, but you can't get ahead. Mm-hmm. You can get by, but you can't get ahead without a plan. And even just doing little things like using a free online retirement calculator to figure out how much you should actually be saving for retirement and how much that retirement lifestyle you want is going to cost you. You know, making sure you have life insurance, you know, if you can afford it, long-term care insurance, or at least thinking about how you would possibly pay for it, what you want your retirement to look like, what you want your life to look like in five years, just thinking about these things and creating goals and a plan to reach them is going to get you a lot farther 
in life. You're going to be doing a lot better financially. It doesn't mean you're going to be rich, but you're not going to just be scraping by if you actually have a plan. Absolutely. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you're you for welcome. Your, thank you for your time today, Cameron. We appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me on. I've enjoyed it. Thank you, Cameron. This is great information for us to all know in order to take care of our loved ones as the age. Sorry that you had to learn this the hard way, but hopefully your struggle will make others' lives easier. To our listeners, get your copy of Mom and Dad, We Need to Talk, How to Have Essential Conversations with Your Parents About Their Finances, to cross your T's and dot your I's on this topic. As hard as this topic may be to have now, it'll be much easier than doing it later. Please help us help more queer people by liking, commenting, and sharing queer money on iTunes today. When you do that, qualified to win a free copy of Cameron's book, Mom and Dad, We Need to Talk, How to Have Essential Conversations with Your Parents About Their Finances, by rating and reviewing this episode of Queer Money on your favorite app listening platform and emailing a screenshot of that to media at debtfreeguys.com. Also, don't forget to download your free copy of The 7 Thinking Errors That Prevent Financial Success at debtfreeguys.com 178. Then, and finally, look out for next week's Queer Money, on which we'll talk about how to decide which credit card to pay off first if you have more than one credit card. Thank you, and have a good week. To learn more about how our sponsor, Capital One, is reimagining their local spaces and experiences to have banking better fit your life, visit www.capitalone.com and follow them on social at Capital One Cafe. From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking queer money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.